You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of John, chapter number 3. John, chapter number 3. And I want to go to the same text I went to last time I preached on a Sunday morning in John, chapter 3. And I want to begin in verse number 15, but I want to emphasize verse number 16 uh, once again. John chapter 3, and I want to begin reading in verse number... Well, let me start in verse 14, just for the little bit more context here. John 3, verse 14. It's good to see each of you here this morning. Good to have our visitors here today. And uh, such a blessing. Be sure and make them welcome today. John chapter 3 and verse number 14, the Bible says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I want to, I want to quickly give you this because I preached on verse 14 primarily in, in relation to verse 16 a couple weeks ago. And if you weren't here, this context goes all the way back to the book of Numbers. And there was, uh, because of the sin of the people, there was judgment that came throughout the camp. And the judgment was what the Bible called fiery serpents, venomous snakes that infested the land and began to bite people. And people began to die from the poison of this bite. It was judgment for sin. However, uh, there, was, there, was, there was hope and there was rescue and there was a, a brazen serpent that was lifted up onto a pole uh, that if, if people would just simply look, if people would have enough faith to turn and look at that brazen serpent, the Lord said they would live. And He literally said, look and live. That was the, so it was just by faith looking to that serpent and believing that by doing that, that they could be healed. And He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... <clears throat> Excuse me. So must also the Son of Man be lifted up. And so in other words, just as He made a serpent, which was what was killing everybody, the Bible says that Jesus became sin for us. He became sin. Uh, listen closely. He did not sin. He became sin. He took our sin upon Him uh, on the cross. He was lifted up and He took our sin. And if we will by faith look to Him trusting that He's the only way, we can be saved as well. So as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, but look at verse number 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that, that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be, be reproved. Verse 21, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Once again, I want to take my text in verse 16. We'll read it one more time and then we'll pray. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the Word of God today. I thank You, Lord, that from 
from Genesis to Revelation, this is the very inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Uh, These are Your words, dear God. These are life-changing words. God, these words have been changing hearts and lives uh, for generations, dear God, and for thousands of years. And I thank You for the day that it changed my life. And I thank You, God, that Your Word is still changing my life. I'm glad this book is alive. I'm glad this book is up to date. I'm glad this book is something that will stand forever because it matters forever. And we thank You for that. I thank You for the eternal Word of God. I thank You for John 3.16. Thank You for that, dear Lord, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm doing something a little unusual uh, beginning the last time I preached, and it was, which was out of John 3.16 and around this area. And I actually want to preach on this for a couple of weeks And the reason why is because I think there's so much in this one verse that tells us a lot about what else is in the Bible. Uh, And then I'll get back to how I normally preach through a section verse by verse. But I was really struck about preaching through John 3.16. And uh, when we think about John 3.16, somebody said it this way, that, that for most believers, this is the first verse that's memorized and probably the last one that we would ever forget. John 3.16. It's been known by many names. It's been called the Gospel in miniature. It's been called the Gospel in a nutshell. Someone once called it the Gospel in superlatives. Someone said that if you lost all the other verses of the Bible, their essence is still contained in this one verse. The essence of the Bible, I believe, can be found in this one verse. This verse has been called every man's text. It's so simple that any child can grasp it, yet it's so profound that all the scholars of all ages will never be able to plumb the depths of its content. It has also been called an inexhaustible verse. We will never exhaust the content and the meaning of this inexhaustible verse. For one reason we is because the Bible says for God. I mean, it's about an inexhaustible person. It's about an eternal person. And we're going to say more about that in just a moment. It's about the love of God. That's a subject that you cannot exhaust today. It's about everlasting life. And so it's a verse that you can learn over and over, but the depth of it uh, goes beyond And so just in a very few words, because think about this. In in verse 16 alone, we find out something of the mind of God. We, We find about the heart of God and the will of God. Those are three pretty important things. The mind of God, the heart of God, and the will of God. So many people have those in in our day and age. They don't really understand the mind of God, the heart of God, and the will of God. And by the way, since for those of us who do, since we've been saved by God's grace, since we know and have experienced what John three sixteen means, and I want to tell you that something about John three sixteen. It's it's meant to be experienced. Not just memorized, not just known, not just repeated, but praise God that you can experience the truths of John 3.16. And in doing so, you can get a little bit of grasp about the mind of God, the heart of God, and the will of God. One of the greatest reasons this text uh, makes such a difference. I, I think about this. I heard this story about the great British painter William Morris who was invited, invited to paint the portrait of the gorgeous Jane Burden. As she sat before him, he admired her for a long while before he took his brush and began. So here sat this beautiful woman, Jane Burden, and, and, and he's looking at her and he's examining her and he's, he's really in awe of her beauty and he's trying to, trying to get how he's going to put this onto canvas. And once he sat down in his chair and began to 
move his brush, in just a few moments he turned the canvas around and there written in his paint, uh, with his paintbrush, was this sentence, I cannot paint you, but I love you. I cannot paint you, but I love you. And sometime later, they were married. And this morning, I feel equally inept to find the words or phrases, the illustrations or analogies sufficient to describe the love of God that He has for each and every one of us in here this morning. I mean, listen, our Bible tells us that we love Him because He first loved us. I mean, I could tell you everything. I could come up with every word, every illustration, every phrase, every I mean, anything I could come up with today, and I would still leave feeling like I wasn't quite able to paint you the portrait of the grace of God and the love of God and the mind of God and the will of God. Uh, but, but, but over the next uh, couple of weeks, I want to try as best as I can to paint with words the impact of this verse. The impact the truths of this verse has had upon me. The truths that this verse has had on the world and folks is still having in the world today. The truths of this verse, this very verse, is still transforming lives as I speak to you today. And so, what I'm going to be trying to do is to describe the indescribable, to explain the inexplicable, to define the, in, the indefinable. And as I share with you from this dynamic verse, and as I do, I trust that you'll join me in prayer. That by the time I'm done uh, preaching John 3.16 about the love of God, that we, will have a, that we will have been supernaturally implanted and impacted in our lives as believers. And for those that are uh, for, for new believers that you'll get a grasp and a hold of just what it means to know the love of God and for those that have been saved for some times that it'll take do deeper root into their lives I trust it will overflow from the doors and the windows of this church to a community that is hungering and thirsting to know the love of God I mean, listen, your neighbors, your friends, they're thirsting and they're hungry to know the love of God. You said, are you sure about that? I'm absolutely sure about that. Now, they may not realize that that's what they're hungering for. They may not realize that that's who they're thirsting for. But folks, they're thirsting for God. And it's our job to get a grasp on this so that it will get a grasp on us. Amen. And so that we can share these glorious truths of God with the world and the love of God. And what I want to do is I want to try to take four clauses that make up this verse and spend a week on each of them. Let me give you the, the, the series in a sentence. John 3.16 can be understood as God's global gospel grace gift. God's global gospel grace gift. This week I want to talk about the global nature of God's love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. The next one is that He gave His only begotten Son that we'll preach, Lord willing, on next week. And then the next week would be that whosoever believeth in Him... And then the gift shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so one of the first things we see about this is for God so loved the world. So as we consider this, we understand something. God's love is global. 
I asked Hannah to, 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 put, put, to put this graphic together, and she did it sometime between Sunday school and the start of church. Uh, but she, she put this graphic together because I want you to think, anytime you see a globe, anytime you see a picture of the world, I want you to understand something, that God's love is global. I want you to think about the Gospel when you look at that world, when you look at the globe. I mean, the, this, that is the scope of God's love. All mankind, everyone who has ever been born, I mean... God so loved the world. There is no human on the face of the earth which Jesus Christ did not die for. Amen. Now, I will warn you at the, at the start of this message that there's some people that, that the truths of that are found within John 3.16 that are found throughout the New Testament, throughout the Word of God, some of these truths challenge the theology of some people. But I'll say this, if the truth of God's Word is challenging your theology, if the truth of God's Word is challenging someone's teaching, folks, you need to go with God's Word over the false teaching. Amen. And so, so what we'll see, first of all here, is the origin of this love. The origin of this love. It starts off this way, for God. This phrase tells us so much. Not the least of which is that there is only one God. The phrase is ha-theos in the Greek. And it's unmistakably singular. There is one God. There are not many gods in the true sense of the word. The Bible speaks of lowercase g gods, but those are just all gods of of man's making. They're not true gods. There's only one true God. And that is the Lord God, Jehovah. He is the God. There is only one God. And by the way, uh, human beings, this was covered in Sunday school. I was thinking about it as Kurt was teaching it. Human beings do not reach some level of perfection and become gods any more than they die and go to heaven and become angels. Humans are human. Angels are angels. And God is neither. God is God from everlasting to everlasting. He is not a man as some would teach. Some people teach that the, the God of this world, the God of this planet, it was a man much like me, or just like me pretty much, except He was able to obtain uh, such a measure of... of, of uh, he was able to obtain Godhood on another planet, came over to... The, was gifted with this planet along with his wife, uh, and they begin to have spirit babies together. And that's how then people are naturally born. And it goes on to a long story. But they teach that the God of this earth, the the, the Mormon religion, teaches that the the God that we speak of as God at one time was a man just like us. It's interesting, Kurt was dealing with that in Sunday school. But folks, God God, God is not a man in that sense. He's not an angel. He is the Lord. Amen. He is the Creator. There is no other God besides Him. And you cannot attain and you cannot become a God like Him. Amen. It's impossible. Uh, and and it's, it's really interesting too, by the way, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, the thing that, the Lord, that, that Satan tempted Eve with, the first thing he did was he said, Yea, hath God said... He put a question mark where God put a period. He put a question mark where God uh, puts an exclamation point, you could say. And so he begins to question what God said. But then he says this, God knows, what was the appeal? God knows that in the day that you eat of this, ye shall become as gods. That was Satan's lie in the beginning. Uh, but folks, that's not the case. I mean, there is only one God. And we learned that here in John 3.16. 
for God. The Jewish Shema makes this clear. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Uh, this is a prayer that, that, uh, that faithful Jews will pray morning and night. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is a marvelous presupposition here. It's the same presupposition that we find in the very beginning of our Bibles. The Bible says in Genesis 1-1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God does not go over to the side and I'll say, Now I'm going to try to explain this to you. He says, No, I'm God. There's a presupposition here. I'm God. I'm the Creator. And it's kind of one of those things, look around. Amen? Uh, look around. And so there's a presupposition. And the same presupposition is found here as well. The Lord is one God. He is God. He always was God. He always will be God. God is. And God is one. God is eternal. See, we live in a time of pluralism. Where our culture, our cultural philosophy tells us that all the religions of the world are the same. And that all religions lead to heaven. And lead to God. And it's so sad because many people will even... I've even heard people that are in Bible preaching and Bible believing churches that will say, Well, as long as you're sincere... Well, you can be sincerely wrong about something. There's a lot of sincere people out there, but there is truth, folks. Amen. There is absolute truth. There is absolutely a God in heaven. There's absolutely one God in heaven. And it would make no sense that there's many gods in many ways because our Lord said, Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's one God. There's one God. You say, well, that's not very merciful to tell people that there's one God and that there's one Christ, there's one way to heaven. It absolutely is because otherwise they're going into error. Otherwise they're continuing on the broad road, the Bible says, that leads to destruction. There is one God. We do live in an age of pluralism, but there is one God. So it suggests that any... Uh, pluralism suggests that any uh, God you want to believe in is fine as long as it works for you. They assume that all gods and all faiths are, equ are equally valid and true. But what I'd like to submit to you today by the authority of the eternal Word of God, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, is that that is not true. There are not many gods. There is but one God. There is but one God. And folks, His name is... One of the great things about this God is you do not go worship where He's buried. One of the great things about this God is you do not fashion this God with your hands. There is one God. And beloved, I'd like to submit something else to you today. One of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest harms that have ever been done to the world today is all the false religion in the world, especially that which claims the name of Christianity. That which claims Christ but misrepresents the truth. That which claims God but does not acknowledge and does not accept the authority and the sole authority of Scripture. I've often said it this way, and I believe that it is so true, that in the big scheme of things, there's two religions in this world. Or that, or that every religion, if you will, could find its way under one of two headings. And the Bible puts it this way. It speaks about the way of Cain and the way of Abel. 
Going back to the very beginning, Cain and Abel in the New Testament refers to the way of Cain. Why? Because there is that today which is a works-based religion. A works-based salvation. That the way that you attain either to become a God or to get to God is by your works. By the things that you do. And about every religion in the world fits under that. By the things that you do. And, by, you know, and sadly, it's often under some vengeful God or some perverse God of some sort. You know, and I say God with a lowercase g. As we know, it's a false God. But then there's the other way. And that is this. The way of faith. The way of the cross. And folks, one thing these religions of the world still don't like, the, the way of the blood of the Lamb of God. Amen. The Lamb of God. The one that shed His blood. See, Abel, what did he do? You say, what's Cain and Abel? Who is that? That's the, that's the sons of Adam and Eve. That's those brothers. And when God clearly told them, we can, we can see there in Genesis from the, the, the fact that uh, Abel brought a sacrifice. He brought a lamb that was going to shed. He, he wasn't doing any works of himself. But what Cain went out and did is he went, man, and he went out and he was sweating. He went out and got calluses. He went out and he worked hard in the garden to, make, to bring a crop to God. And he says, here's the work of my hands. And God, by the way, gave him an opportunity. He said, if you will, if you, if you will do well, you can do well. In other words, you can still have the option of repenting. You can still bring a sacrifice. But the Bible says he was wroth. He was angry. He was angry with God, and as a result of that, he killed uh, Abel. And so, but, but what we see there is faith versus works. Salvation, folks, is trusting in a substitute. And that substitute is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. The Bible says it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to His mercy that He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. One of the appeals of religion is you can boast about it. You ever meet those people? You can stick your nose up in the air and you can be better than everybody else. And, and you got you got this church trying to be better than that one. And this, folks, it's not about that. Man, I glory in the cross, amen. We don't brag in our church, we're bragging on Jesus, amen. And we're bragging on what Jesus is doing in our church. That's what it's all about, lifting him up. It's not about lifting up any man, it's not about lifting up any denomination, but it's about lifting up Christ. There is but one God. Uh, well, uh, what, what is it that the Bible tells us about God? The Bible tells us a few things. The Bible says this God is omniscient, which is to say that He's all-knowing. It says He's omnipresent, which means He's everywhere at once. The Bible tells us that this one God is also omnipotent, which is to say He's all-powerful. But I like this one too. This God is omnibenevolent. Omnibenevolent, which means this. He's all-loving. He's an all-loving God. And I'll try to say more about that in just a moment. Uh, but, but, but many of us have heard about the love of God. But folks, in the day and age of that this was written, it was a new concept. It was a foreign concept that God was a God of love. Because the gods that they served, were God, they'd have gods of peace, gods of war, gods of fire, gods of fate. And you say, well, they did have some gods of love. No, they had some gods of the eros love. 
Uh, and, and that's to say well, the, the erotic. In other words, uh, what we get out of it. But folks, this is a fundamental shift. It's a fundamental assertion that the God of the Bible is a God of love. Somebody says, oh, well, I actually had a fellow tell me last year. He said, man, the God of the Old Testament was not a very benevolent God. I said, that's wrong. The God of the Old Testament was and is a benevolent God. He's the same God. I love this. You say, well, there's a lot of judgment by, by, out in the Old Testament. Yes, there is, but it's God. God always gives people the option. When people are willing to turn to Him, I love it. I was reading in Isaiah yesterday. Man, God gave this to me. I loved it. And I was in, in Isaiah in the early chapters, and, and it's talking about, God says, this is the judgment I'm going to pour out. And He would list some judgments, but then He would say, but His hand is stretched out still. Amen. Then I'd read a little bit further about these judgments. Then it would come again and say, but his, and his hand is stretched out still. And four times within just a few verses, it says, and His hand is stretched out still. That's in the book of Isaiah. That's in the midst of judgment. Listen, God, listen, God, the God of the Old Testament didn't take any more uh, pleasure in judging than He does now. He had His hands outstretched. But it's just that people refused His love. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold. Behold. I mean, take a look. Take a gander. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. That word manner right there literally means from what country? <laughs> And what it's saying in its context is this, is that the love we are talking about this morning is out of this world. I mean, it comes from heaven. And so we see uh, this morning uh, the origin of this love is God. But we also see the overflow of this love. For God so loved the world. He so loved. So we see the overflow of this love. First of all, I want to take a look at the verb love. And then I want to take a look at the adverb so. But first of all, the, ver the verb love in our language. Man, there's many different words for love in our language. And there's three words in the Greek. Because I'm telling you, in our language, it is, it's an abused word. It's an overused word. I, I, you know, you've heard me say this a hundred times. I got my truck cleaned up real good yesterday. I love my truck. I asked my kids when I was going out this morning, Chad, and I said, uh, I said, do y'all think it's weird that every time I walk up and see my freshly shined and cleaned up truck, you look beautiful, gorgeous, or hello, gorgeous? Is that weird? Should I not have told that? Uh, but I love my truck. But now here's the thing. I turn around and tell my wife, I love you. You see, that's, I mean, it, it, we, we misuse that word. See, why do I say I love my truck? I love my truck because of what I get out of it. That's kind of an eros love. That's where the word erotic comes from. Uh, it's not that weird, but I'm just saying that it's, it's a love that you get something out of. And now I'm going to tell you something. You listen here closely. Girls, boys, men and women. Let me tell you something, girls, boys. Sometimes there'll be, there'll, there'll be some boy that comes along and says, I love you. Single ladies, single men, I love you. What kind of love are they talking about? There was a man that was sitting at, on break at a construction site one day. And he sat and watched his co-worker with an orange. And he took this orange and he kind of cut, cut a hole in the bottom of it. And he squeezed it out. Got everything rolled it around until he could get everything he could get out of that orange into a glass. And he drunk that and he, he began to drink the juice. He, he took that what was left of that orange and he chucked it to the side. 
And you know what he said? I love oranges. <laughs> Let me tell you something, girls. That's the way some boys love you. Oh, I love you. I want to squeeze and get everything I can get out of you. And then when I've got what I can get out of you, I'm chucking you to the side and I'm going to go try to find another orange I love. Oh, I love you. And by the way, this is, this, is, this is not the kind of love when the Bible says husbands love your wives, by the way. Love is, oh, I'm not in love anymore. I'm not in love anymore. What are you talking about? Love is a commitment. Love is a decision. Love is not, true love is not about what you get out of it. True love is sacrifice. And we preached about that recently, but I'm telling you, that's what love is. And so there, there, there's eros love, there's, there's phileo love is another Greek word which, which means uh, brotherly love. That's a great love. I, that, that's, a, that's a benevolent love. It's a friendly love. Uh, you know, uh, phileo, we get our word Philadelphia, the city, city of brotherly love from that word. But the word that's used right here is agape. This is a love to the highest degree. This love is totally a selfless love. It is totally an accepting love. It's an unconditional love. It's a love that originates from a desire not to get, but to give. It's a love that could not be defined by what the object can do for the giver, but what the giver can do for the object. I just got to stop right there and say hallelujah. I'm glad that's the kind of love that God loves me with and that God loves this world with. Folks, it's unconditional. It is an unconditional love. It's a love that cares. It's an accepting love. It doesn't say, now where are you from again? What's your country of origin again? What kind of life have you lived? Oh, no, no, no. This love, folks. This love for God so loved the world is agape. It's a sacrificing love. It's not about what God can get out of you. It's about what He can give to you. It's about what He wants to do for you. How He wants to bless you. That's what it's about. Man, you talk about love. May God help us as God's people to never be ashamed to share the love of Christ. Oh, my friend, it's a love that just gets better. Amen. It's a love that just gets sweeter. It's a love that never grows old. Oh, for God so loved the world. It's unconditional. It originates from a pure motive. I love Jeremiah 31 verse 3. You ought to mark that down. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 states, I have loved you with an everlasting love. If you look as far as you can see in eternity past, you will find that God is love. If you could go as far as you could do into eternity future, and understand that eternity isn't past, present, future, it just is. Amen? Uh, God always is. But, 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 but here's the thing. You will find that God is a God of love. The quality of His love is everlasting, eternal, and it is forever. What does that mean to us? You need to hear me very well with this. There was never a time when God began to love you. I remember the first day I laid my eyeballs on Melody. I was struck. I was smitten. Man, and, and, and the more I got to know her, there was a time, what I'm trying to say is, that I fell in love with Melanie. 
and, and made a commitment to love. You know, I don't want to be speaking out of both sides of my mouth here as we're so used to our culture uh, because absolutely when I first saw her, I just thought she was hot, right? I thought she was beautiful. Uh, so uh, to say that I fell in love with her right there was not the agape kind of love. But my point is this. There came a time when I felt that I began to love Melanie. My love started for her. Not so with us. There was never a time, see, He always has loved you. Before you were conceived, He loved you. There will never be a time when God does not love you. Whether you choose to spend eternity with Him or apart from Him, He will always love you. See, some religions tell you that in order to find favor with God, you have to do this or that. You have to go here or there. You have to perform this great deed or accomplish this spiritual height. Not so with the Bible. The God of the Bible tells us plainly, I have loved you. Everybody out there know who that's talking about? You. I have loved you with an everlasting love. There's nothing you can do to cause God to love you more than He does at this very moment. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more than He does right now. Now you can understand why some religions don't want to tell you that. Because they want to tell you, give me some more money. God will love you more. Do some more. Make a bigger commitment to this church. Grow this church. God will love you more. Not so. There is nothing you can do to cause God to love you more than He does at this very moment. You say, preacher, you don't even know what was going through my mind just a moment ago sitting right here in this service. doesn't matter. There's nothing you could do to make God love you any more than He does right now. And there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you any less than He does right now. He, 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 he doesn't have to do a thing in the world. There, there's, you do not have to do a thing in the world to get God to love you. He already does. He always has and He always will. Before He formed the world and before He hung the stars, before He created the living things of which man was primary, before you were conceived in your mother's womb, God loved you. All your faults. All your failures. Psalm 139 is one of my favorite psalms. The Bible says He knows my, down, my, my, my uprising and my down sitting. He sees my thought afar off. He knows everything about you. Every thought you've ever thought, uh, thunk. <laughs> every deed you've ever done. Anything. He knows it all. He knows everything you ever will do. Guess what? He loves you as much as He always has. And folks, it's in an immeasurable way. <laughs> Boy, I'm, I'm glad for that kind of love. I don't know about you, but I'm glad for that kind of love today. Oh, my friend, listen. The stars will fall from the heavens and the earth will burn up with a fervent heat. Time will be no more. But His love for you will be as hot as ever. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. For God so loved. That's the verb. And quickly the adverb. He so loved the world. Oh, my friend, that, 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 that's a degree. You can correctly translate the phrase, for God so loved the world so much, or so greatly, it carries the idea of overflow, or overflowing love. God's love is an overflowing love. God's love is no trickling stream, but it's a flooding river. God's love is no dripping faucet, but it's a fire hydrant. 
God's love is no flickering lightning bug. It's a supernova. God's love is an overflowing love, an overabundant love, a limitless love. Open your heart and dare God to flood you with His love. Dare Him to, to flood you till He drains His reservoir dry, but it will never happen. Amen. This is the love. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And by the way, this is the love which with we're to love the world as well. Then lastly, the object of the world. The, I'm sorry, the object of this love is the world, mankind. God is set out to save the sum total of the population of the world, the globe, people. You say, are you sure about that? I am. How are you sure? Because I can read the Bible and find it out. Amen. Yes, I can go read somebody from 500 years ago and find that they said things contrary and use Scripture to back it up. But when I go to find what the Bible says, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. That's all mankind. I mean, and, and, and repeatedly that word is used. I mean, Isaiah 53 is a good example. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. And you know what it goes on to say? That speaks of mankind. How many have gone astray? All of mankind. But the Bible says, And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All who have gone astray. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Oh, my friend, I'm telling you, I'm so glad that the Lord loves all people. It is The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, the Bible uh, tells us clearly that Christ is the propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, but also for the sins of the whole world. For the whole world. Oh my friend, listen, God loves all people. Red, yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. I mean, God doesn't just love Christian people. He doesn't just love certain people. He loves all people. I mean, everyone out there, He loves. And if you'll stop for a moment to ponder uh, this, you'll find it extraordinary. The great Creator God of the universe loves each and every individual person on this planet. See, the Lord uses Paul in Galatians 2.20 to help us understand this a little bit. Because here's what he says. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Then the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. And who gave Himself for me. Did you know you could say that as well today? Who did Jesus die on the cross for? Me. Who did He love? Me. Who does He love? Me. And that's why oftentimes you've heard it said, and I'm going to do it again this morning, without doing one bit of harm to John 3.16 today, I can say this, for God so loved Jesse. And you could put your name there. For God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son that if you would believe on Him. You would not have to perish. You would not have to go, go face an eternal lake of fire, but that you can have eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. He loves you as an individual. Sure, we may love Him collectively, but listen, what He wants, He loves you as an individual. He wants, to re he wants you to reciprocate as an individual. But I want to say this, it starts with you accepting Him. Amen? Accepting this great love. Let's all stand and we'll be dismissed in a moment. Miss Sonia's coming to play softly on the piano. This morning as I stand, stand before you today, I think about spurned love. 
I think about rejected love. Maybe there's people in here today that have had their love rejected. Maybe there's people here today that have, 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 have made an effort toward a, a, a loved one or maybe, maybe just a person they were interested in and tried to offer them their love. But it was rejected. It was shunned. Oh, my friend, please, please today, if you've not accepted this love, I invite you to accept this love, this salvation, this grace, this Lord Jesus Christ, this person today. Galatians 2.20 Love me, died for me. He loves you. He died for you. Well, that's great. But you know what the Bible says? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now what's your part? That whosoever believeth that's your part, accepting this gift. Oh, that's fine. I believe. This morning, I'm not talking about believing in an intellectual sense. It's, and that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about total reliance. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm trusting in the Lord, and I was raised right, and I try to be good, and I'm a member of the church. and Well, those are all great things. But salvation is in Christ in Christ alone. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm just giving you what the Bible says this morning, folks. Why would folks be gathering together? Why would we open up the altar and allow people to come? You know why? Because we allow people to make a decision. We allow them to make it humbly and openly. But if you're here and you're not saved, I want you to make a decision today. Matter of fact, you're going to make a decision today. You're going to either make a decision to accept His love or to reject His love today. You're either going to make a decision to accept His love or to re reject His love. And I want to invite you. I want to beg you. I want to plead with you. Accept His love today. You say, Preacher, how do I do that? Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. From your heart, if you can call out unto the Lord today, He will save you. You can accept this gift of salvation. Heavenly Father, I thank You, dear God. And I pray, God, if there's anyone here today that needs to call on You, that they would do so right now in this very moment. They're making a decision at this moment, God. Help them to make a decision to say, Yes, Lord. Help them to make a decision to say, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I pray that You'll please forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life and be my Lord and Savior. Lord, those words are just simple words. But if something like that can be prayed from a sincere heart today, someone could accept the gift of salvation. If there's someone, God, that has not accepted, that has not believed, I pray that this would be the day that they believe, that they forever get to experience this love. Not just talk about it, not just know it, experience this love. Your will be done. Thank you for that, dear Lord. In Jesus' name.